Good morning. I'll be reading from Matthew 13, 1 through 9, and 18 through 23. The same day Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Hear then the peril of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that, excuse me, snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what has sown along the path. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, and another sixty, and in another thirty. The word of the Lord. I was talking once with a young woman who's part of the medical community here in St. Louis. And she was sharing with me that she grew up in a religious family. Her parents were Hindu. But then she said, as for me, I'm not really a religious person. I really consider myself more of a scientific person. But I also think of myself as a very spiritual person. And I said, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. What does being spiritual mean to you? And she said, it means feeling connected to something bigger than myself. This desire to be connected to something bigger than ourself is a universal human longing. It's not new. But here's what is new. Uh, in our late modern world, there are literally thousands of different options to choose from for how we connect to something bigger than ourselves. More and more people are opting out of traditional religion and looking for other spiritual paths. Um, but here's what's so fascinating to me. Actually, a couple of things. Uh, first, people are still interested in Jesus. I read a, a poll recently that said that 77% of American teenagers are at least somewhat interested in learning about Jesus. But second, you know, there are hundreds of different ideas out there about who Jesus really is, what Jesus really taught, and what it means to really follow him. 
For instance, Stephen Prothrow is a professor of American religion at Boston University. He wrote a book called American Jesus, How the Son of God Became a National Icon. He goes through the history of America, and he shows how each generation has a tendency to picture Jesus in its own image. So beginning in the 18th century with Thomas Jefferson, you have Jesus, the wise teacher. And as we go on, we've had uh, um, manly Jesus, sentimental Jesus, white Jesus, black Jesus, Buddhist Jesus, Mormon Jesus, boyfriend Jesus, progressive Jesus, Republican Jesus. One of the big takeaways of the book is that we all have a tendency to construct Jesus in our own image. Here's what this means. We have this longing for something bigger than ourselves, and many of us wonder if Jesus might play a part of it. But there's so many different versions of Jesus to choose from. How can we be sure that we're connecting to the real Jesus? Well, one way is to listen to Jesus himself. Even scholars that are most skeptical about Jesus agree on two things. Number one, Jesus talked all the time about something called the kingdom of God. And number two, many people agree that, at least in his parables, we have a a higher likelihood that we're getting access to the authentic words of Jesus. So over the next six weeks, we are going to study different parables that Jesus told about the kingdom of God. Of God, And this week we begin with what is uh, definitely the most famous of all those parables. It's called the sower. Uh, so as we go through this parable, let's ask three questions. What is this parable about? What does this parable mean? And how does this parable work? Okay. What's it about? What does it mean? And how does it work? First, what is this parable about? Jesus tells a story about a sower sowing seed in four different kinds of soil. The first three soils don't produce any fruit, but the fourth one does. Now, that's the story, but what's it about? Well, in the very middle of this passage, Jesus tells his disciples, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so this parable is about the kingdom of God, but what does that mean? Well, remember that Jesus' audience is first century Jewish people. And when they heard Jesus talk about the kingdom of God, bells would have been going off for them. This would have been full of meaning for them. And here's why. For centuries, Jewish people had been living under political domination from empire after empire, most recently the Roman Empire. They were under brutal domination and oppression, but they were also longing and and straining to keep their hope up. In many ways, it would have been similar to the situation of our African-American brothers and sisters here in America. For instance, Langston Hughes was a famous poet and one of the leaders of the Harlem Renaissance, which was a major cultural movement um, of African-Americans in New York City about 100 years ago. In one of his most famous poems, Langston Hughes says, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful, and kind. Now, Langston Hughes was writing in the context of racism in early 20th century America. There's this longing for a better world, but there's also the exhaustion over the endless delays and the ongoing oppression. Jewish people in the first century were in a similar situation. 
In fact, the Bible pictures this situation as an age that is under the dominion of evil, sin, and death. As it's a picture of the world as being an age that's under the dominion of evil, sin, and death. So in this passage, notice Jesus talks about the cares of the world. But literally what he says is the cares of the age. This is a very important biblical concept that we're going to come back to throughout this series. But when Jesus talks about the age, he's referring to this present world as an age that's under the dominion of evil, sin, and death. So, for instance, if you're in a community group, you're about to start studying Paul's letter to the Galatians. At the very beginning of that letter, Paul talks about the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. It's the same concept that this world is a, a world that's un, an age that's under the dominion of evil, sin, and death. But, and you knew there was a but coming, right? But throughout the Bible, over and over again, there's this promise that one day God was going to show up, he was going to rescue his people from their enemies, and he was going to renew this world, this material world, to a place of beauty and wholeness where there's no more evil, sin, suffering, sickness, or even death. So by this time in the story, when Jesus showed up, Jewish people had been waiting hundreds of years for God to come and to rescue them. And the day that happened would be the first day of a new age, a future age. And can you guess what that age, that future age was called? The kingdom of God. For Jewish people in the first century, the kingdom of God had not yet happened. They were waiting for it. So for instance, in Mark 15, it talks about Joseph of Arimathea who was waiting for the kingdom of God. Or in Acts chapter 1, when Jesus is resurrected, his disciples ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They were waiting for the kingdom of God. They were in this present evil age, but they were waiting for a future age for the kingdom of God to rescue them from evil and to renew the material world. In other words, friends, the kingdom of God doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. The kingdom of God doesn't mean... Um, political domination where the Christians are in charge. We'll talk more about that in just a little bit. It also doesn't mean a state of divine consciousness that already exists inside of you and all you have to do is tap into it. No. The kingdom of God is a story of rescue and renewal. Can we all say that together? The kingdom of God is a story of rescue and renewal. Now, here's why this is so important. The kingdom of God doesn't mean whatever we want it to mean. It means what Jesus means. And if we really want to understand Jesus, then we have to understand this. And listen, Jesus wants us to understand. What are the very last words of the parable? He says, whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus wants us to understand. But if we don't understand his Jewish context, then we are not going to understand what he means by the kingdom of God. It's kind of like that Langston Hughes poem. Could you read that poem? You know, I'm so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Could we read that poem without the context of racism in early 20th century America and still get something out of it? Sure. We all long for a better world. But if we ignore the context, 
of racism in early 20th century America, then we are not going to hear the fullness of what Langston Hughes is really saying, are we? It's the same thing with Jesus. When he talks about the kingdom of God, we have to hear what Jesus means by the kingdom, not what we want it to mean. And what Jesus is telling us about, what Jesus is offering us, is that something bigger we're all longing for. We may not even know what it means, and yet we're longing for it. You know, in the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis tells the story of two children who end up on a Narnian ship out to sea. They meet the king of Narnia and the rest of his crew, but they also meet a talking mouse named Reepicheep. And Reepicheep's deepest desire is to sail to the uttermost eastern parts of the sea. Why? He says, I expect to find Aslan's own country. Aslan is a Christ figure in the book. He says, it's always from the east over the sea that the great lion comes to us. When I was in the cradle, a woodwoman, a dryad, spoke this verse over me. Where sky and water meet, where the waves grow sweet, doubt not, Reepicheep, to find all you seek, there is the utter east. And he says, I do not know what it means, but the spell of it has been on me all my life. Friends, we're all longing for that something bigger that we want to be connected to. We were talking about this on Christmas Eve. it's, it's that true home we long for. It's that real country we were made for. You may not even know what it means, but the spell of it has been on you all your life. Jesus is saying it's the kingdom of God. That's what we're made for. That's what he's offering. And that's what this parable is about. And that leads to our second question. What is this parable about? It's about the kingdom of God, a story of rescue and renewal. But secondly, what does this parable mean? Remember, Jesus says... When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, so the seed in this parable is the word, or literally the good news or the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's what Jesus is talking about. But what does this mean? This parable is about different ways of responding to the kingdom of God. But it's even more than that. A little bit later, Jesus tells his disciples, many prophets And righteous people longed to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Remember, Jewish people were waiting for the kingdom of God. They wanted to see it and hear it. Jesus is saying, you are seeing it. You are hearing it. So let's ask the question, what are his disciples hearing and seeing? Jesus. It's not a trick question. They're hearing and seeing Jesus. The the kingdom is present Because Jesus is present. Think about what this means. This parable is not just about different ways of responding to the kingdom. It's about different ways of responding to Jesus. Because the arrival of Jesus is the arrival of the kingdom. So what are different ways of responding to Jesus and his kingdom? This parable is like a diagnostic tool that helps us answer one big question. And the question is, what is your heart doing with Jesus. Jesus says that our hearts are like these different soils responding to him in different ways. So let's take a look at him. And the first soil is a resistant heart. In other words, this is um, a heart that the word never gets in in the first place. These are people who refuse to let Jesus in. And in many ways, I think this is the one we need to be most compassionate about. I regularly um, hear comments from people about why they've rejected Jesus 
and or Christianity. And when you listen to them, it's heartbreaking. For some people, it's the presence of evil and suffering in this world. For many people today, it's the very real hypocrisies and failures of the church. For others, it's the trauma uh, and abuse that they've experienced in this world. People ask, how can um, I believe in a God who would let something like this happen? Um, And notice what else Jesus says about this soil. He says, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in their heart. Now, you may not believe in a real devil or in the reality of supernatural evil forces in this world, but Jesus did. That's part of of this present evil age. The world we live in is under enemy occupation. And the really tragic thing Jesus is telling us is that the devil uses the evil of this world to harden our hearts against Jesus and his kingdom. And yet, Jesus still asks us, um, what is your heart doing with God? He still holds us responsible for how we're responding to Jesus. Now, what about the second soil? The problem with this soil is it's too shallow. Notice Jesus says, uh, this person has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So in this soil or in this heart, notice the word does go in, but it doesn't go in deep because there's no root. In other words, this is a, a heart or a soil that's shallow. And you know, um, if that's not a metaphor for the world we live in today, I don't know what is. Because here's the thing, not only do we live in a world that is fast and shallow and distracted, but in our modern Western culture, uh, we are told that the whole purpose of life is to be happy and to feel good about yourself. And if that's the purpose of life, then The inevitable suffering of this world, when that comes into our life, we don't know what to do with it. We can't handle it. And yet, this is the very thing that Jesus is warning us about. That our desire to escape or bypass suffering will keep us from really letting his kingdom and his presence into our lives. This is a huge challenge for us. For instance, um, Paul Brand was a very famous doctor Uh, Paul Brand uh, began his career, he spent the first half of his career in India, and the second half of his career in the United States. And here's what he says about those two places. He says, in the United States, I encountered a society that seeks to avoid pain at all costs. Patients lived at a greater comfort level than any I had previously treated, but they seemed far less equipped to handle suffering and far more traumatized by it. In modern Western culture, we don't know what to do with suffering except find a way to bypass it. Have you ever been to Ikea? You know how when you're like walking through the showroom, it's like a labyrinth. It's long and windy and really easy to get lost in. But if you're in a hurry, they have these doors that are like a secret passage that go from one section of the showroom right to another section. And if you walk through that door, it's like you can go, like, it's like you bypass all the windy hallways and go straight to the section you want to be in. Have you ever walked through one of those doors? It's like magic. (laughs) Friends, we all want to find the magic door. We all want to find the magic door that's going to help us to bypass the pain and the suffering of this world. And Jesus is saying that if you do that, then you will miss him 
in his kingdom. What is your heart doing with Jesus? Now, what about the third soil? Uh, the problem here is that, well, first notice that the seed does go in, and the seed does go in deep, but there's also thorns that are down there in the depths of the soil along with the word. So Jesus says this, the cares of the world, or the age, literally, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word. The problem here is that um, we have a divided heart, that our heart is divided among other loves. The classic theological term for this is idolatry. In other words, what that means is Jesus might be in your life. And you may really love Jesus, but there are other things in your life that you love just as much and sometimes even more than you love Jesus. And, you know, in many ways, the idols of this world haven't really changed all that much. People still want to have sex with whoever they want to have sex with. We still want to have pleasure and comfort and ease in our lives. People still want power and control. People still want other people to approve them and admire them. The idols haven't really changed that much. But the scary thing is that for many of us, on the surface at least, we can live lives that look really virtuous or spiritual or religious. And as a result, we might think, well, all of this is talking about other people, not really me. And yet Jesus is challenging you and me to look at our own heart, not someone else's heart. What is your heart doing with Jesus? Friends, this parable is all about different ways, not just of responding to the kingdom, but different ways of responding to Jesus. What is your heart doing with Jesus? And Jesus, his deep desire is that you would let him in, that you would let him in deep, and that you would let him in undivided by other loves. Because his deep desire is to rescue from evil and transform your life. That's the fourth soil. That's the soil that bears fruit. And that leads to our last question. We've asked, what is this parable about? It's about the kingdom, a story of rescue and renewal. What does it mean? It's about different ways of responding to Jesus. But lastly, how does this parable work? In other words, how does this parable actually get into our hearts and change us? Because um, the answer is, actually, look at the image Jesus uses. The kingdom of God is not a hammer or a stick of dynamite or a sword. The kingdom of God is like a seed. In other words, it doesn't work by force or power or coercion. It works through weakness and hiddenness. Because remember, uh, first century Jewish people at this time in their existence, they had been waiting hundreds of years for the kingdom of God, for God to come and rescue them from evil and to renew the world. And in the Bible, throughout the Bible, the promise of the kingdom was always a universal vision for the whole world. So for instance, in Genesis chapter 12, one of the most famous and important chapters in the Bible, God tells Abraham that he's going to make Abraham the father of the nation of Israel. Very famous story, but what does that mean? What's the purpose of Israel? God tells Abraham, in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All the families, uh, or all the nations are going to be blessed through Israel. That's the purpose of Israel. Friends, in other words, the very beginning of the biblical storyline says that the promise of the kingdom is a universal promise, a universal vision for the whole world. That's 
the, the, what the promise of the kingdom is all about. But the problem is, by the time Jesus showed up, that universal vision had gotten shrunk down to a very narrow, political, nationalistic vision in which the Jews were going to get victory, military victory, over the Roman Empire. They were thinking, we got to pick up power. we got to pick up the sword. And by the way, when Christians today get sucked into nationalism or a desire for political domination, then we are getting caught up in the very same distortions of the kingdom that were affecting first century Jewish people. Do you see the challenge that Jesus faced here? On the one hand, he wants to affirm the core desire for rescue and renewal because the kingdom of God is a story of rescue and renewal. But on the other hand, he needs to redefine the kingdom away from the distortions and back towards the original vision of the kingdom. How is he going to do that? The answer is not by a rational argument, but by a picture. What is the picture that Jesus gives us? It's not a stick of dynamite or a sword. The kingdom of God is like a seed. A seed does not hammer you into submission. A seed, the power of a seed is in its weakness and its hiddenness. A seed slips past your defenses and gets to work in you from the inside out. A seed um, takes a really long time before you see results. And most importantly, a seed brings life by dying. Because what is the real enemy we need to be rescued from? For first century Jewish people, they thought it was the Roman Empire. We're very similar. We think, well, it's other political groups or social groups or cultural groups. But Jesus redefines the kingdom by redefining what our real enemy is. It's not other people. It's our own resistance to God. The real enemy we need to be rescued from is, is the sin in our own heart. How does that rescue happen? A seed brings life. By dying. In John chapter 12, Jesus said, unless a seed falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Do you see the similarities with this parable? Right? Jesus is telling us what this parable means because he's showing us that this parable is all about himself. Jesus is the true and ultimate seed who fell into the earth, who went into the tomb weak and crushed. On the cross, Jesus was crushed by our real enemies, sin and death. So, but in crushing him, it released his power into the world so that we could be rescued from the sin and evil in our own hearts and so that we could be made into seeds of the kingdom so that our lives could be transformed and that we could live in Jesus' new world ourselves. Friends, this is not a God who hammers people into submission. Obey me or die. This is a God who was crushed for you so that his love could be to you like the apricity of a warm winter sun that thaws the resistance of your heart and, and, and transforms your life and transforms you into a seed of the kingdom because the power of a seed is its weakness. You know, the most, um, one of the most transformative moments of the civil rights movement was in Birmingham in the spring of 1963. African Americans were marching in the streets because of their belief in the biblical doctrine that every human is created in the image of God. And they were guided by the gospel of the kingdom, which says that God's power comes into the world not by picking up power, 
but by laying it down. And so they had resolved that no matter what came against them, they were not going to fight back. Now, the police commissioner in Birmingham was a man named Bull Connor. Um, he was brutal and ruthless, and he was utterly committed to crushing the demonstrations by whatever means necessary. And his first resort was to put all the adults in jail, and he did. But once all the adults were in jail, children started marching in the streets. Children. In the world's eyes, they're weak. But their weakness was their power. Because when the children started marching in the streets and singing hymns, in his rage, Bull Connor ordered that they turn the fire hoses and the police dogs on the children. But still, the children didn't fight back. Instead of picking up power, they were laying it down. And the next day, newspapers were filled with pictures of children being assaulted by fire hoses and police dogs. There was a global outcry because of this. It changed everything because all of a sudden people all over the world were not having their minds convinced by a rational argument about why racism is wrong. They were seeing a picture of it and that picture changed everything. It went all the way to the White House and resulted in the Civil Rights Act of 1964. Do you realize what that means? The president of the United States, the most powerful person in the world at that time, changed the laws of this country because of children who were following Jesus and, and being seeds of the kingdom to the world around them. Their, their weakness was their power. Friends, what is your heart doing with Jesus today? Where is your heart resistant? Where is your heart shallow? Where is your heart divided among other loves? You know, do you long for renewal today? I think we all do. But do you know that you need to be rescued from the evil and sin that's in our own hearts? Jesus is the ultimate seed who went into the ground and died for you so that he could rescue you from evil and so that you could live in his renewed creation. And the deeper you let his dying love into your heart, the more that dying love reproduces itself in your life and through you, you become a seed of the kingdom to the world around you. Are you letting Jesus in? Are you letting him in deep? <laughs> Are you letting him in divided, undivided among other loves? Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Would you pray with me? Abba, we thank you for your word, for the seed, for the reality of your kingdom, for the promise of your kingdom. And we thank you that that promise has arrived through Jesus, the true kingdom. And so we pray today that you would help us to hear these words and to understand what you have promised us in your kingdom. We pray that you would help us to see where our hearts might be resistant or shallow or divided among other loves. And we pray that you would help us to welcome you, Jesus, deeper into our hearts, to welcome your dying love into our hearts and that your dying love would transform us into seeds of your very own kingdom to the world around us. For we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.